From the European Broadcasting Union in Geneva, I'm Emilio San Pedro, and this is the Eurovision News Podcast. Sorry, sir. I'm trying to do my job. Oh, well, I'm doing my job, too. You know what part of my job is? Getting in your face. That's part of my job. Okay, please calm down. Please calm down. Journalism has steadily become a more dangerous profession around the world, including in Europe. With the global pandemic, widespread social unrest and the rise of populism, the danger and hostilities facing journalists are no longer isolated to the battlefield, but sometimes found right at home. The nationalist and populist movement, they have promoted anger and hate against our work. At the end of April, the Council of Europe and its partners released their annual report on the threats journalists are facing. And the message is clear. Actions are urgently required. It's becoming increasingly the case that journalists uh, have, have a target on their back. To understand this growing crisis facing the industry, we've invited Peter Terveld, longtime journalist and now security coordinator at NOS in the Netherlands, deputy director of the International Press Institute, Scott Griffin, and Julie Haas, a representative from the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, with a message from the group's representative on freedom of the media, Teresa Ribeiro. Let's begin with Peter. Tell us what the situation is like on the ground in the Netherlands. Well, the situation goes from bad to worse, to, to be honest. I mean, in 2017, there was a, a big survey among journalists, and then uh, 61% of the journalists in the Netherlands said that they had once in a while to deal with aggression or violence. Um, that was a majority of journalists. And that was a kind of a wake-up call that something was happening in society, something was changing in society towards journalists. In every survey here, a vast majority of the people, they trust the media, they trust the national broadcasts, the newspapers, the let's say, the mainstream media, to use that horrible word, and, and a vast majority does. But there is a group in society that, that they don't trust politicians anymore. They don't trust scientists anymore. They don't trust journalists anymore. And when I say it goes from bad to worse, it means that, that, that I mean, a lot of journalists, they get threats online or in the physical world during demonstrations or when they are in certain areas in, in the big cities in the Netherlands and then trying to report, get, get death threats, etc. That's words. Although they're horrible, but it's still only words. And what we also see that sometimes words are changed into actions and physical violence. Journalists who get stones thrown towards them. Yesterday we had an incident with a photographer whose car was by by a digger was was pulled and into a ditch and uh, he got wounded that, that was a, a, another low point in in what we experienced with the journalists here in this country so yeah to to, to i mean we have a, a hotline and, and and journalists can report incidents 
last year, 2020, it was the first year that we existed as, as a platform. We had 121 incidents uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, today, on the 20th of April, I had number 100 of this year. So 121 over the, the last 12 months, but now only 100 in the last four months. So that gives an idea how bad the situation is getting. In January, the Netherlands experienced a wave of protests against COVID measures that turned violent. What are you hearing from journalists in the field and do they blame COVID measures for this rise in hostility? Well, I won't say the, the biggest one, but it, it really doesn't help, so to say. Um, what we saw, for instance, in January, a lot of these protests, demonstrations turned violent. Uh, but I mean, there were hooligans involved. There were all kinds of groups involved in these uh, protests. So yes, they, 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 what I hear from journalists, photographers on the ground who are working in, in all kinds of areas in the country, that, that people are more it looks like people are more aggressive and they think it comes because of COVID, because of a lockdown of a year because of a changing society after 12 months not being able to go to a festival, to a, a football match, to, to a pub, to a restaurant, um, not to go out anymore, not to have parties anymore. And it, I mean, it, it really doesn't help in, let's say, the atmosphere in uh, society. And uh, partly it also makes it that people turn against their journalists. That's unsettling, uh, to say the least. Yeah, well, I mean, I give for years already training to journalists who go to war zones and crisis areas. People who, uh, who need to travel to the Middle East, to, to South America, Middle America. All kind of areas in the world where you know that it is a hostile environment. Um, I give this, this training also for the EBU. Uh, the HES training in uh, Munich, I'm one of the instructors. I mean, we do this already for many years for journalists to prepare them for um, hostile environments. But nowadays, unfortunately, we have to tell the journalists, um, also our own country, the Netherlands, it's sometimes a hostile environment where you can see that people turn against you, become aggressive to you, become violent to you, and you have to prepare yourself. So what we do is that we give trainings to all the media organizations, to freelance journalists, freelance photographers, uh, to help them to, to prepare themselves uh, that they are not going to, let's say, a demonstration um, without any preparation. Nowadays, you need to prepare. You have to make a risk analysis. What could happen when I go to a demonstration, what could happen and which measures can I take to lower the risks for myself. And unfortunately, we have to do this in a country like, um, like this, in the free Western world. Sometimes perhaps it's more difficult, isn't it, for people? Because if they're in their own environment, they may feel very safe when they're out and about because, hey, this is my country, this is where I live, this is, I, I know my way around here, I don't need to be prepared here, like, for some war zone. Yeah, and so we tell them, it, it has changed, you need to prepare. Let me give you one example, there was a journalist in the south of the country who was in January in uh, a demonstration, he was working there together with his uh, photographer, 
and suddenly a group of 10, 15 um, young men turned against them, became aggressive, and the reporter and the photographer had to flee uh, the area. And they ran into an alley, and that alley had a dead end. And the group of 10, 15 young men came into that alley, stormed towards them, and their biggest luck was that an, someone who lived there heard a lot of noise. She came, opened the door, saw a frightened journalist, a frightened photographer, pulled them into the house, closed the door again, and uh, they were saved. So this is a war zone kind of thing that could happen to you. So yes, you are in your own country. You are in an area where you think you know the region, you know the streets, you know where you're going to. You are there with your own people, Dutch-speaking people. But now we tell them, listen, if you go to an area like this, you need to know how to evacuate uh, when uh, things turn uh, violent. And do you think that there's a turning back from this uh, spate of violence against journalists or do you think it's here to stay? Well, we see it already for many years. So also before COVID, we already saw um, growing violence towards uh, journalists. So yes, my hope is that when, when COVID will be over, the society will go back to normal, that let's say the sharp edges of violence and aggression um, will disappear. But it doesn't say that, that, that all violence and aggression towards journalists will, will go. I mean, we saw this trend coming up in the last, let's say, 20 years. Slowly but surely, it became more and more common um, so no, I don't think it will be over. I hope it, it will get less, but over, uh, no. Thank you, Peter. And now we turn to Scott Griffin, who's deputy director at the International Press Institute and is on the editorial committee for the annual report from the Council of Europe and its partners on media freedom. Scott, first of all, let's hear your thoughts about what you heard from the findings of this year's uh, report from the Council of Europe. Sure. Um, thanks a lot for, for the invitation and, and happy to be here. I mean, the, the report that we that we launched uh, recently really paints a, a troubling picture, I would say, uh, of the press freedom situation uh, in Europe uh, in a number of respects. And, and the report is called Urgent Action Needed. And that's really the main message um, that, you know, the figures that we are seeing and the developments that we are seeing are really concerning. Uh, and we really need to engage now uh, with some of these developments. And, and one of the key figures that came out of the report is that we looked at uh, 201 alerts uh, were filed to the platform last year, which is the highest total that we've seen so far and almost 40% higher uh, than in 2019. So things are really headed uh, in the wrong direction at the moment. And what do you attribute this rise in hostility towards journalists to? I think it's a couple of things, uh, and, and certainly the COVID-19 pandemic played a big role, and we have a chapter about this uh, in the report, you know, that governments are increasingly trying to control the message around a major crisis, uh, and that resulted in, in a series of uh, types of press freedom violations uh, beginning last March, controlling access to in or blocking access to information, but also increasing attacks on journalists covering demonstrations by members of the public. And in some cases, this is being fueled by irresponsible uh, statements by politicians who are fanning the flames of, of hate, really, against, against journalists. 
Uh, but I think there's something else, uh, which is a lack of accountability for those who attack journalists. And this is really the problem of, of impunity. Uh, but we see really that, you know, not only killings of journalists, uh, which is which is obviously at the top of the of the pyramid, but also other attacks on the press are not being met uh, with justice. And this sends the message that, you know, attacks on the media are are allowed and that you can get away with it. And this is, I think, um, possibly the most disturbing development that we see. And this is really something that we need to uh, deal with urgently. You mentioned the coronavirus uh, pandemic and when we're talking about protests around that, do we mean people who are opposed to the restrictions and people who who see the pandemic, perhaps they, they believe in some of the conspiracy theories that are circulated on social media? That's right. Um, and this is something that increased over the course of last year that, um, you know, sort of anti-lockdown demonstrators, people who protested against different public health measures, journalists who were there on the ground to cover these demonstrations uh, were the target of physical attacks, threats, and harassment. And, and what we see is this is really a continuation of sort of an anti-press environment, which we see is being fueled by sort of this populist rhetoric by a number of political leaders, some of them in government, who view journalists uh, as enemies, uh, as enemies of the people. And, and we really fear that this is inspiring this type of street uh, violence, you know, that the protesters sort of see journalists as colluding with the elites, as colluding with uh, people who are trying to take away uh, freedoms. And, and I think that this is really, this really drove uh, some of the attacks last year. So it's, it's not a new sentiment, unfortunately, but I think that it spiked around these uh, around these demonstrations and how can broadcasters and media outlets uh, protect their journalists uh, and and the work they do yeah this is unfortunately becoming a bigger topic and in the report we mentioned examples of of several public broadcasters needing to uh, remove their logos from their equipment or from their vehicles uh, to protect their journalists from being from being targeted and unfortunately that's that's becoming increasingly the case that journalists uh, have have a target on their back, but long term, you know, it's it's about really stopping this type of anti press rhetoric, having consequences for those who attack journalists, which is a really difficult problem at the moment, and in general, trying to get back to a position where we understand that critical journalism uh, is not a threat, that it's not uh, our enemy, uh, but in in fact, it's a it's a huge benefit to our society, and I think that particularly in the coronavirus pandemic, we've seen the value of, of independent journalism more than ever, um, you know, providing us information, health-related information, but also being there to analyze and debate the measure, the steps that we are taking uh, to control the pandemic. And, and we hope that what will eventually come out of this is, is a return to this understanding and, and you know, seeing that, uh, that journalism is something that benefits us all and it's not something that is, that is a threat. Thank you, Scott. We now hear from Radio Televisión Española journalist Ebaba Hameda, who shares her experience. Here we, we have uh, facing nationalist and uh, populist uh, movements. So they promote anger and hate against journalists. The last report of the report Without Border uh, show that uh, here in Spain, the pandemic has also affected uh, the practice of journalism. Many photojournalists have 
complained that they have not been able to do their job and have faced a lot of uh, troubles. We are also uh, witnessing a rise of the far uh, right that has also caused a greater hostility towards the figure of the journalist. Aggressions against reports have uh, grown uh, both by, by this far-right movement as uh, by nationalism in the context of the Catalan conflict. And uh, also, I, I would also like to add, uh, a few weeks ago, we lost uh, the fellow uh, journalists in Burkina Faso. David Berian and Roberto Fraile. They were uh, assassinated by the Jihad group. And here in Spain, I look the shock. And maybe, or oh, I hope, I believe, that their loss uh, has highlighted the importance of our job, like a journalist, but specify the role of the correspondent and the whole concept of the press freedom. We need to remember and put uh, on the table, it is a very dangerous, our job. We risk our lives and uh, saying, hearing and feeling is very important for the work of a journalist. So it is very, very important we need to go in the place of the news and work from there. Now let's speak to Julia Haas, who's a project manager at the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Hello, my name is Julia Haas and I work at the OSCE at the Office of the Representative on Freedom of the Media, where we work on various um, media freedom, but also free speech um, issues, and in particularly also on the safety of journalists, as this is, of course, one of the key priorities when we speak about uh, media freedom. And there we have a project that particularly focuses on women journalists. Could you tell us more about the OSCE and its relationship and interest in media freedom? So the representative on freedom of the media is an autonomous institution within the OSCE, which is a security organization, because really um, it was understood already in the last century that security and human rights go hand in hand, so that it's really indispensable and there can only be security if there are human rights. Um, and within the concept of human rights, media freedom has a particular space and a particular important role because it's kind of like the starting point of all human rights um, and also the bedrock of any democratic discourse. So that's really why there is an institution that is dedicated to media freedom as such within the broader comprehensive security framework of the OSCE. Your organization has been focused particularly on the online harassment of women journalists. Tell us about your film, A Dark Place. So at the office of the RFM, we work on media freedom and we work on the safety of journalists in particular. And there we started to work on the safety of female journalists in particular as they face 
a very distinct and additional layer of threats when we speak about their safety. And here, I think it's important to acknowledge that safety does not only mean the absence of physical harm, but it's a way broader um, concept. And it really entails also economic and, 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 and legal and working conditions, psychological aspects, and also the digital safety. And here we have seen um, over the last decade even uh, by now that there is really a distinct risk that, that women journalists face because they are attacked um, online for being journalists, but also for being women. So there is this double burden that women journalists face which has a severe impact on their individual um, free speech and their possibility to participate in the public debate and to really do their job even. Um, it has also an impact on gender equality and just the way we as society um, accept to, to having certain people or groups of people being treated in the public. And it also really affects the plurality and the media freedom as such. And for these reasons, we, we, we focused um, with a dedicated project on the issue of the safety of female journalists online. And we um, produced together with the International Press Institute the documentary A Dark Place, which really tries so, to highlight these different layers and the impact online harassment and online abuse of women journalists has on all of us, that it really affects all of us. And it does so by um, telling the stories of women journalists that have been targeted. And it tells the story of women from across the region. So to also really highlight that this is an issue that is that women journalists face across the board, like they really face it in any country. And it doesn't matter on whether it's in a um, region or country where there is a worse media freedom situation or where it's in a country where, according to um, the International Freedom Index, for example, it would be on a higher level. The film tries to highlight um, the stories of those who are affected to tell the story of how um, online abuse can lead to trauma, self-censorship. It really leads to a decrease of diversity and pluralism, and it, it makes it impossible for us as a society to, to get the full picture and to be informed about the different perspectives and different stories out there. And, and also that there is even within women journalists, there are intersectional layers of discrimination and online abuse. And all these different aspects is something that we try to, to convey with this documentary in, in a bit to inspire change. Because of course, it's very important to always keep in mind that that there is still, unfortunately, even though we are in 2021, and there is really an increase in, in awareness and understanding and also in political commitments and, and, and studies and awareness just across the board, also in the public as such, there is still a need to get a better understanding. And then as a next step, we really have to look at what can be done and what needs to be done now to focus on the implementation and to really make the, the situation of women journalists online safer and better for the sake of all of us. What sort of feedback have you received about the film? Um, there, there has been a lot of feedback really with regard to how it, it sparked discussions, which I think is always the necessary first step because we cannot um, even discuss how to find solutions on the different levels if the different actors are not aware of the problem or it's also always easy for some in society to not talk about certain issues and an experience that I personally um, ha had the privilege to experience also when we sh showed the documentary 
at human rights film festivals really across the entire OEC region is to see how women journalists themselves felt like recognized that they are not alone with this problem because it's still something where women journalists are often left alone and, and, and it's considered as something that's only online, that's not real and this connects to the, the offline world which is really proven by now um, also empirically, um, it's often neglected. And, and something that I found very powerful when we had these discussions following screenings of the documentary is that also in the audience, women journalists felt safe to speak up, out about their experiences and to also start this conversation in, for example, very local contexts and to, to be be willing to have this conversation and that others can then take on and, and, and support these journalists in finding a better and safer online environment. And Julia, what's the road forward? Collectively, how are we to correct this issue? When, when we speak about awareness and better understanding, I think that the awareness is just like the first step. So it's important to have these discussions and to also include the voices of those that are affected. But we need so much more. And, and, and that's also why we at the OSCE published um, in, in November last year a very comprehensive resource guide to help different actors um, to provide some guidance to really say who can do what, but also how. We are in a situation where everybody acknowledged that this is a real problem and a real threat to, to society, to democratic discourse, and of course to the, to the women themselves. It's easy to say that and even to form like a political commitment around that, but it's way more difficult to implement it. And, and it's, it's really important to acknowledge that we need this approach from the entire society, that there are so many different actors that play a role in there. And so, of course, the state, I mean, the state has a positive obligation to media freedom and freedom of expression. So, of course, there is so much more that state needs to do when we look at legislation, when we look at law enforcement, when we look at the judiciary and, 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 and all the different actors within the state framework, but also from the non-state side. So, of course, media outlets and journalistic associations play an important role, but also civil society, um, and, and educational institutions, journalists themselves. And then there is another group that is increasingly important, um, and that's, of course, the role of social media platforms and internet intermediaries. So there are really all these different actors that are so important when we speak about creating and keeping a safe place for, for women journalists online. So I think it's really important to keep in mind that um, each individual woman journalist who is targeted might need a different kind of support in the individual situation. And there, I think it's really important to keep in mind that it should never be put on the shoulder of the woman journalists themselves. So there are different support mechanisms and tools available and in place. Um, and there, are, for example, in like peers and in the media outlets, there are civil society organizations or also online possibilities. Um, but it's really important to always approach the woman journalist with the support that she needs in the situation. But at the same time, of course, we would always encourage them to also report cases and to speak out because it's necessary. It's a necessary foundation for us to have this conversation, to be aware of really the scale and the magnitude of the online abuse that is out there, um, which is necessary to find the appropriate um, solutions and responses thereto. 
Thank you, Julia, for shedding light on what is a worrying development. The report and our guests have outlined important points that broadcasters, media outlets, and governments need to be aware of. Let's conclude with a message from Teresa Ribeiro from the OSCE. She's their representative on freedom of the media and outlines these points for us. The report covers a range of incredibly important topics which all merit further elaboration and dedicated solutions. First, the culture of harassment and online bullying of journalists go hand in hand with a culture of violence, including physical violence. Second, we need to break the cycle of impunity. Third, the increased surveillance, including in the context of the pandemic, often threatens journalistic work. Fourth, media captures and increased state control not only curtails the independence of the media, which accelerated over the last year, but also threatens overall pluralism and diversity of information. Fifth, access to information is essential, not only in the context of the pandemic, and we have to be vigilant about emergency legislations as they are regularly used as a pretext to restrict journalists' work. In this context, I think it's crucial to emphasize again the role of states and public authorities, but also of internet intermediaries and particularly social media platforms. For all of this, we need strong cooperation and strong will, including political will to create together a more inclusive, safe and sustained infrastructure for media freedom. And that's just about all from us here at the Eurovision News Podcast. I'm Emilio San Pedro. Thanks for joining us. This is Laurent Frat, producer of the Eurovision News Podcast. Thank you for listening to our pilot episode. We're interested in hearing your thoughts and experiences around today's topic. So please send us a message and we'll be sure to share it on our next episode. You can check out the show notes for more details and please consider subscribing.